I'm your host, David Nage. This is Baselayer, where institutional investors come to learn about crypto. The views, information, or opinions expressed during the Baselayer podcast series are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of ARCA, where David Nage is a principal. ARCA is not responsible and does not verify for accuracy of any of the information contained in the podcast series available for listening. The primary purpose of this podcast series is to educate and inform. The podcast series does not constitute financial advice or other professional advice or services. Please do your own research. You ready, buddy? Yeah, I'm good. I'm always good. All right, let's uh, let's take it from here. Okay. Um, I'd like to thank everybody for joining us for another uh, base layer interview. I'm your host, Rain Steinberg. Um, I've been bringing you base layer for several years now. Um, I'm just kidding. Uh, all you fans of base layer, you're obviously familiar with uh, David, the true host of base layer. I have the singular interview uh, honor of interviewing uh, David today um, because there's been some big changes in what David's working on. Uh, but for those that don't know, I think it would be helpful to just get an overview of your background sure. um, and give us a little window into what's going on. Uh, David, welcome to Baselayer. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to flip the tables and actually be a guest on my own show. Um, <laughs> it, it, is a, it is a great opportunity and one I'm very excited about. But before we talk about that, um, previously, uh, for the last 20 years, I was in finance. Uh, I've had various opportunities within the asset management side and the family office world, where I spent a considerable amount of time focused on early stage venture. And then around 2015, uh, we started to get exposed to the world of digital assets. And 2015 was a very auspicious time for exposure to Bitcoin and this new world uh, because of some of the negative headlines associated with it. Uh, The Silk Road arrests were around that time. The Dow hack was around that time. And for sophisticated investors, uh, there was a lot of unknowns. And so I had spent months studying distributed and decentralized systems. And I also taught myself how to code. And in that time, I realized that, especially with the advent of Ethereum smart contracts, that there was something bigger here than just a store of wealth, which in itself is obviously worth trillions of dollars and has a massive TAM. But in terms of the ability to have smart contracts that could touch varying aspects of socioeconomic systems out there. And that led me to really focus heavily on that asset class for a number of years. In 2018, uh, around Q4 of 2018, I had hosted my first family office event called FO256, where we had about 150 family offices attend to learn about digital assets. Um, And in that time, I realized that this was really where I needed to spend 100% of my time. The energy, the innovation was really just highly enthusiastic. And so for a few months uh, towards the end of 18, I started to meet with other fund managers in the space. Unfortunately, all very good people, but many of them had never really managed other people's money before. The concept of fiduciary responsibility was something that was still new to them. And I recognized that as a weakness, if you will. And I began to write and I began this podcast because I wanted to create a library of content for people, sophisticated investors, family offices to learn 
about digital assets, to hear about the founders who were coming in here from various aspects, many of them from traditional finance, to actually build in this new paradigm. And that luckily led me to my co-host here, Rain Steinberg, and our colleagues, Jeff Dorman and Phil Liu. And we really understood that to be able to really cross the chasm to the institutional world, to bring in those family offices, that we would need to spend countless hours and days and weeks for the future to educate, to give our insights into what was happening here and not necessarily expect immediate return that this was a long process. And so I loved the focus and the mission of doing that. And thus I came with ARCA in the beginning of 2019 to help you and others there at the firm help build the firm. And we really have taken quite a massive you know, potential return over the last three years with the way that we focus on our investment products, financial analysis, doing the things the right way in terms of compliance and risk management, things that I had learned over the years to be incredibly important to build that trust layer between the investors that we have and the ones that we were going to be having over the course of the next 10, 15, 20, 30 years plus. And so that's been a real honor to be able to come here and do that. Um, and as you alluded to, obviously over the course of these years, one of the things that I had always recognized as being incredibly important is that while we were investing in the liquid side of the digital asset ecosystem, that to have the ability to see opportunities and see trends before they became a tradable asset or a tradable sector was something that was going to be incredibly important for our overall growth uh, going forward. And that's what you were alluding to before. We'll talk more about that soon. Yep. Um, and uh, <laughs> Just to show you that this truly is not my day job, I was completely remiss in introducing myself. Um, Rain Steinberg, you know me, uh, the CEO and co-founder of Arca. And I remember uh, that day, I guess it's about three years ago, um, when we met. Um, and this was a very small company at the time, but we had similar views, um, how to bring uh, institutional investors into this space. Mm -hmm. We had both, um, you on the looking for funds and product sides and companies to align with had done a lot of due diligence and us on our side, looking for people, um, of, you know, the same type of fiber, um, that could communicate our message and bring them in as well. And there was immediate synergy, um, with your efforts, um, on FO256 of you know a very very passionate commitment to bringing uncompromised uh real resources that traditional investors um to to enter this space right. and I, I three years sounds like a long time but the amount that's been accomplished um in this space and you particularly on spreading that message it's interesting to look back at that um so kudos and i i so fortunate that we did meet very happy. Yes. And I, I think one of the things that you and I both experienced is some of our counterparties and some of our relationships and partners have had 50, 60, 70 year visions on this, whereas many people are focused on the day-to-day, hour-to-hour yep. side of things. And we understood from very early on that this was generational, 
that what yeah. we were building today was something that was going to what we were building it for was to last for centuries to be the next franklin templeton to be the next state street to be the next black rock that was what we were building for not necessarily just for the next you know two years but for the next 200 years exactly um and even though we both agree that a huge part of our day-to-day -day and actually, you know, mission and what we do and what we very strongly believe in is, you know, an educational, um, bringing people into space and people cannot overestimate the importance of, of how you contextualize it, making people, you know, making this safe as an idea, you know, for risk managers, fiduciaries of other money, of other people's money. Um, now you, but you're transitioning into a more specific role, not just on the communication, um, of that message, um, very specifically uh, forming a lot of those ideas around a product that uh, you're launching here, and we're launching um, at ARCA. Would you like to tell us a little bit about uh, Endeavor? Sure. So as I alluded to over the last few years, we've recognized that many of the opportunities that we invested in the digital asset fund have had time before they've become a liquid tradable asset. And in that time, there is usually a period of growth that we have observed, but we haven't necessarily taken advantage of. And is that time where typically in the venture world, we call that a seed round or pre-seed round, or in this world, we call it a SAFT, a simple agreement for future tokens. These are our events that we have not taken advantage of in the fund that we've had our flagship fund because of certain liquidity parameters that we've kept around that fund. Uh, we built it as a very liquid instrument one that yeah, it uh, might be helpful for people that aren't familiar with sure. uh, our, our first fund, just to give them the context around that and how it, you know, is complementary. Sure. The digital asset fund, uh, as we know, was built over three years ago with an emphasis to be, as I said, focused on fundamental analysis, to do the work of valuation, to come up with price targets, things that you would normally see in the equity side. And we apply those same techniques and models and methodologies to the digital asset world. Um, the majority of that fund was usually focused more on thematic investing, typically one to three year horizons, but again, more focused on the liquid tradable side of the asset class, things that were on exchanges, things that were on OTCs and market makers, not things that were equity investments or equities that have retroactive to tokens or things that were simple agreements for future tokens. These are instruments that were more liquid. This particular fund that we built was focused more on liquid assets. Uh, and in the fund parameters that we have, uh, it is focused more on that parameter uh, for risk management purposes. Uh, it is a very volatile asset class on the liquid side. We want to be able to have instruments that we could potentially move and pivot out of if needed, if there were events such as last year in March, when we had the events of COVID that shook the market. We were able to obviously protect our investor capital incredibly well then because of that parameter. We've done that a number of times, especially over the last few months when we had a market shock. So that fund has operated incredibly well. But to the point I'm alluding to is there has been about 10% of the efforts that have been more than a liquid bucket. That has lent us to exceptional opportunities, one of them in the gaming space. Uh, for those that are unfamiliar, there is a company called Axie Infinity that has built basically one of the new paradigms of gaming in the blockchain-based side. This is what we are now calling play to earn, where players have the ability to not only play a game for enjoyment, 
but actually make a digital asset, actually earn a digital asset for their work. They actually have ownership of the NFTs, these, these items, these assets that you use to play the game, as opposed to what we see in traditional gaming, where you do not have ownership, you do not have uh, any kind of claim to the assets that you may win uh, in missions or in battles. This is a new paradigm that Axie has brought to the world, and it has created massive upside. Uh, just to give you all a sense of the kind of the growth, Axie Infinity at the beginning of the year, around April of this year, they were at about 38,000 daily active users. As of right now, as we speak, they're at 1.6 million daily active users. And each one of those players is typically earning what we call SLP, which is their in-game digital asset. That in-game digital asset, as of right now of this, of, this, of this conversation, is worth about $0.08. Cents. If you think about it, most players are averaging about 4,700 SLP that they earn every single month. For players, and we've seen a predominance of players in the Philippines and other parts of the world that have been hit tremendously by COVID, they are earning upwards of $350 to $400 USD every month by playing this game. They can buy food with that. They can pay their rent. These, this is a narrative that has just started to kind of spark conversation. And this is where, again, we were very early in our, our first fund, our digital asset fund, but where we recognize there is massive opportunity in more early stage opportunities in the gaming space that are going to be built upon this new paradigm shift of what we call play to earn, as I alluded to. And so Endeavor is our new fund, which is going to be an early stage fund focused on those types of opportunities that are early, that are raising a seed round or raising a saft, that are building around this new paradigm of NFTs and gaming specifically. We're going to spend a lot of time there focusing on how this is changing society, where players around the world, and just to give everyone a kind of a reference point there, there are 3 billion players of video games around the world. Video games have been around this, our society for 50 years with the advent of Pong. Things have changed dramatically since that point in time. You now have professional esports leagues out there where people are earning livings by streaming on Twitch, by streaming yep. on YouTube. This is a new commerce of you know, this new kind of gig economy, if you will. And so gaming for us in the blockchain space is a representation of a furthering of that paradigm shift where you now have the games that people love to play, but now they have ownership of those assets and actually can do things with them, like sell them and make a living from them. Really interesting stuff. So Endeavor is going to be focusing there earlier than we have before in our digital asset fund. In addition, we've also done incredibly well with decentralized finance. For those who are familiar, that's called DeFi. DeFi has given the ability to use these assets, whether they are a stable coin, whether they are Bitcoin or Ethereum, and be able to use them in ways to be productive meaning that you can lend them and make yield on them and collateralize them to mint other types of digital assets. Things that are familiar, if you will, to the traditional world that we've seen today, where you have collateralizations, you have all the things that you would typically see in terms of lending to a bank and receiving yield for that asset that you're lending. The yields are a little bit better here on the digital asset side versus <laughs> the traditional world. Um, and so this is a furthering of the efforts here in Endeavor where we've seen this, this industry play out and expand over the last few years to where at the end of April of 2020, the total amount of capital that was locked into the DeFi industry was about $800 million. 
as of today, of speaking, that is roughly around 75 to 80 billion dollars. So yeah. the size of the growth is just absolutely tremendous. Tremendous, yeah. And so where you cover this, where we're going to go with this in terms of the next layer is that it is my opinion, and it is the opinion of those that are obviously involved with ARCA and the fund, that DeFi is fixed income 2.0, where we are going to see this furthering expansion creating a structured products, lending, borrowing, uh, all the things that we've seen in fixed income. And fixed income, for those that are listening and want to look up some kind of analysis in terms of the total addressable market, is roughly a $100 trillion market. <laughs> and so the Enormous. amount of growth in there is just absolutely huge. So those are two areas that we're going to spend a lot of time in the earlier stages than we have before in the, uh, the digital asset fund. Fantastic. Um, you gave us the example of Axie. Um, give us can you can you walk us through um, how companies are selected or uh, what your research process is or how we go through it and how that kind of dovetails with what goes on in the digital asset fund and leverages some of those capabilities at Arca? Sure. So what I found early on is that there is no Y combinator of digital assets, whereas there is in traditional venture. Um, hmm. There are new accelerators that have popped up over the last year or two that find founders, founders come to them, they give them a little bit of equity, they give them some cash to be able to build their MVP and then do a demo day. I have spent the last few months as we've been working to launch Endeavor to reach out to many of those. And we're lucky that we're actually now mentors to about five of those accelerators around the world. Uh, one of them, uh, I am, we are proud to announce is that we are uh, a judge on the Solana hackathons now and, and definitely into the future. For those that don't know, Solana is a, a layer one, another type of blockchain similar to Ethereum, uh, whereas Ethereum has uh, processes that take a little bit longer. There are transactions per second, sometime average around 15 transactions per second. Solana has built their blockchain to do 50,000 transactions per second, um, whereas Ethereum, you have this notion of what we call gas, which is effectively a little added transaction fee so you can have your transaction done quicker. Solana does not need that. And so we've seen a tremendous amount of new opportunities coming from the Solana ecosystem and the Solana hackathons that we're now judging. That's just one of those examples um, between that. So we are finding opportunities in the earlier formative stages of these projects when the team is starting to build their code, they're starting to identify places that they want to address, and they are finding it very valuable that we they have someone like us at Arca it helps them through the idea of how do you design a token that actually promotes good behavior in an ecosystem? How do you actually create a token that incentivizes the network participants in that particular ecosystem? That is very difficult work in terms of what we call tokenomics. Uh, there's a lot of psychology there. There's a lot of uh, heuristics there. And these are things that many of the founders, they are brilliant on the technical side, but when it comes to the economic side and it comes to the psychological side, they definitely find that we're very valuable and helpful to them on that. So that's definitely some place that we're going to be spending a lot of time is in the earlier stages when we are able to identify these projects in the accelerators and some of these new hackathons that we're active in, uh, and we're able to help them with their, their future growth. Other areas that we're definitely tapping into are a fantastic network of other like-minded investors that we know over the last three to four years. Uh, that can include other venture capital firms around the world. 
uh, and that we are having really great conversations with. We've already made our first three investments in Endeavor. And in the first one, we actually co-invested with a prominent VC here in the United States in San Francisco. And they recognized our brand and our abilities here at ARCA as one of the one investors in the other cap table that would be highly accretive to the growth of that particular company. And so we have the reputation, we have the respect of other investors. They understand that we can really roll up our sleeves and help these projects become formidable in the future. And then the last one in terms of where we're finding ideas uh, throughout uh, is actually through this kind of distribution engine that we've built here. You know, thousands of people listen to this show particularly. We also have another show at ARCA on Real Vision. And so we're able to find founders that are coming to us because they understand that we take pride in educating and distributing the voices of those that are building in this space. So there's a multitude of ways that we're finding opportunities. And I'm happy to say that we are currently flooded with opportunities. And we've already, as I said, made our first three investments. And we're very excited about what we're seeing so far. That's fantastic. If you had to, there's so much opportunity in this space. Uh, we agree. There's also a lot of noise. Yes. Um, when you're thinking about an investment, if you had to distill it down to a couple of things that uh, you and the ARCA team look for, um, and it doesn't have to be exhaustive, but what do you like to see on a project when you're forming your investment thesis? What gets you excited? Some of the things that we typically look at you know, when we are evaluating is defensibility. Is there other projects in the space right now that are doing the same thing? If they are, where are they in terms of their growth, in terms of their build out? So we, some might call that total addressable market. Some might call that moat. Defensibility and replication is definitely something that we're looking at. And as was I alluding to with our DeFi focus is that we're not necessarily looking for the next iteration of yield farming. We're looking for that next level of what happens after the yield farms, after the liquidity pools. And those are the things that we're really looking for. Uh, other things that we're looking for, some people say, especially in the venture world, having a second time founder is a positive. I agree with that. But this is also a new paradigm. You're starting to see engineers and developers coming into this world that have not founded a company before. And so while a second time founder is great, and it's something that is definitely on the checkbox, it's not something that eliminates opportunities for us in the future. Other areas, again, in terms of filtering, uh, we're going to be very specific on those three tranches. As I said, again, NFTs, gaming, DeFi, and then Web3. Those are going to be three areas that we spend a lot of time in, in terms of evaluating opportunity sets. It's great to find the next you know, social token or the next social media type of application that's trying to be decentralized. That's not really what we're looking at today. Uh, we're looking at those three buckets because we've identified that there's a lot of potential users there. We've identified that there are drivers for adoption there. Um, and so those are the areas that we're going to be focusing on. Other things that we typically look at uh, in terms of uh, analysis is the technology. We do look at the Git repositories. We do see if there's been audits. We do have people within our network that can help us check those things out. That is important because a lot of the work is obviously public. And if we're able to make an evaluation determining on the code and the audits, that's something that we're definitely taking a very sincere look at. We actually have found a few opportunities that we liked, but upon the review of the Git repositories and the technicalities of what they were building, we found that they were pretty far away from what they were trying to do. And so 
that's fine and that's great. Uh, but for us currently right now, we're trying to eliminate some of that duration risk. We're trying to really focus on founders that have been able to build and they're ready to go over the course of the next year or two. So those are some of the factors that we're definitely using for filtering purposes. Uh, you, you said some interesting things about um, founder um, prior experience, and I agree with you. Um, in a space as young and nascent as this, you're going to see, I mean, some of these things haven't existed before. How sure. could somebody have found it in a space before? Whole sectors are being invented. Um, how closely do you and the ARCA team plan to work uh, with founding teams? And what does that look like? Every investment that we've made thus far and every investment that we will make in the future, I speak to the founder and the team very closely. And I, I say to them that one of the caveats of our investment, and obviously that investment then gives us that gives them access to our network, our distribution engine, our marketing schemes that we have here in the team that we have here. We give them a lot in advance of just capital. Capital right now, for anyone who's listening, capital right now is easy. A check is very easy these days for these founders. The real sweat equity and working with them is really what differentiates. Saying that you're going to partner with them and meaning that is really important to them. Um, and so in that, we also are working very closely with them. And one of those caveats, as I alluded to, is that every month we are going to have a call with each one of the founders of each one of the portfolio companies that we invest in. And we're going to do a checkup. And I think this is what we call proactive versus reactive. I prefer to see, you know, in terms of diagnoses, like a doctor, I'd rather, you know, have you going for your checkup versus you coming in all of a sudden six months later and saying you don't feel well. Let's evaluate. Let's do the diagnostics. Let's do those checkups. Let's see where we can actually help. Uh, and this is what we're doing every time that we make an investment is that each one of the founders and teams we're having on monthly calls with them. And it's not long. It's usually about 30 to 45 minutes where we just do a checkup. How are you doing? What are the milestones that you are trying to hit? And how are they going right now? Where are you coming into problems? Where can we actually help? And on the first investment that we made, uh, they were very explicit. They had a number of different companies in the space that they wanted to get access to. And they were trying to uh, run RFQs to. We actually have picked up the phone, although say it's more email, and we've made those calls and those emails, and we've opened up some of those doors from them. And that in itself has actually helped the annualized return um, uh, significantly, whereas the first company that we invested in, it's a SaaS-based platform doing tax and accounting, they have grown their annualized uh, revenue rate two times already in the first month of our, of our working with them. And so we're having a material effect on the founders by opening up our networks to them, opening up our distribution engines to them, and really doing what we're saying that we're going to do. That's really fascinating. Um, it, it's interesting. You have, um, and ARCA as a firm really has a kind of unique experience. We are a digital asset startup uh, relatively recently. Uh, these are not theoretical issues uh that we have faced and our you know our endeavors haha um really were about forming these networks and doing this at times for ourselves um then with evaluating the ecosystem um and now leveraging it for portfolio companies uh -huh. how do you think that that is going to impact 
uh, the return spectrum. I know you just gave some examples, some very young, uh, you know, it's a very new fund, obviously. Um, we don't have a lot of data on what's going to happen. But how do you foresee um, kind of this approach of so hands-on and really being synergistic, you know, kind of smoothing the very hit or miss aspects of VC? Do you see something similar in our hit ratio or how do you view that? I would say from experience in seeing those that, as I say, I like to use the analogy of rolling up your sleeves, those that actually roll up their sleeves and work closely with those projects. And in this particular one, our first uh, portfolio company, uh, where we've actually been able to do that, it is having a material effect. And what does that mean? So in the particular projections, this particular company had um, a certain amount in, in ARR and annualized revenue rate that they were expecting to get at a certain point in time by the end of this year. By our injection into their operations, we've already been able to help them get significantly closer to it in September with three months effectively left in the, in the year to be able to eclipse that. And once they get eclipsed through that, and once they're getting into 2022, as our continued efforts and our continued network continues to bear fruit for them, they have specific revenue targets that they're trying to get to in 2022. As we help them get closer to that at a faster clip, they go from a seed round to a series A that much faster too. That's when you have some of the larger venture firms, the Kleiners, the Sequoias, the A16s, mm. that start to take notice that this is a company that is projecting up. They are trending up. They are getting more revenue. They are getting closer to that point where Series A becomes that much more visible. And so for our investors in this particular fund, that is type that is ideal, where if we can help the, the particular project just by working with them and being active with them, we can help them get to those milestones faster and get to those uh, further funding rates faster. And again, these are unrealized gains, majoritively speaking right now, but if we're able to invest in a company at $30 million pre-money valuation, and just by our network and being active with them and helping them grow, we can get them to a certain target in terms of revenue, in terms of growth, and get them to $160 million pre-money valuation on a Series A. Our investors typically will see somewhere in the range of a 5x return on those types of opportunities, unrealized, of course. Mm -hmm. These are the types of things that you can do by doing the work. Um, not yeah. just by writing a check. And so that is really the ideal with this is that we were going to be very proactive and in many ways try to create those returns, you know, faster and in more expediency if possible. That it's, it's really fascinating and you can see the synergies. Um, we talk about, you know, the power of really active engagement and energizing that engine versus just writing capital. Mm -hmm. um, we know there's a lot of capital chasing deals. How differentiated do you think uh, this approach is um, in this space, in the world of traditional venture from the way Arca and Endeavor is approaching it uh, versus uh, traditional VCs? I think there's a lot of VCs out there who say this, but don't follow through. Mm -hmm. You know, in the conversations I've had with founders, I say three things effectively. One, capital is there. You know, if we if we like the opportunity, the capital is there. But in addition to the capital, you get access to our LP base. And many of our LPs are also now LPs in our Endeavor Fund. 
They want to be active participants. They want to be able to help these companies grow. Many of them are very successful entrepreneurs in their own right. And so you get access you know, to our LPs wherever we can potentially make those connections. You also get access to our distribution engine, which as we see right now, is one of the things that we've taken pride in over the last few years in building. That's our podcast here. That's uh, our colleague Peter's podcast on Real Vision. And then we also have our marketing team, which has built our brand over the last three years through a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. That has not been an easy feat. And so these are things, these are assets, if you will, in their own right, that are going to be given to those founders and those teams as, me, as soon as we become investors in the, in the cap table. And so, again, this is what a lot of people say, but they don't actually do because this is hard. They get distracted. They don't have a process in place. They get inundated with other opportunities. These are things that are strident in our process here, whereas we imagine that we're going to get very busy very fast as soon as all this becomes public. But this is a process. And as you know, we are built on processes. We're built on replication. We know what processes work. We know how to actually get to be successful. And deviations from those processes is when you become less successful. And so it is impossible for me to say that we're going to pivot away from those processes because I know those processes are incredibly important to our success and our investors' success. Yeah, I can speak to that um, as well. Um, Here at ARCA, and this was always the plan, is we're constantly developing ideas and new products, but we do not launch them um, if they are not aligned with our brand, which is best of breed. Is it differentiated? Does it build? And is it synergistic with our capabilities? There is too much over on this side of the equation to ever risk doing something rash or hasty. And I can say um, that this uh, strategy and process has been in development and being thought about for quite some time. We could have very easily pushed this out further. Um, And I think the idea of launching it internally with internal capital Uh, testing it, thinking about these things, going to our existing LP base um, has really um, made the product uh, very good and very differentiated. And can you speak a little bit, you you mentioned something about the LP base. Um, I'm assuming this was mainly made up with people that are in the ARCA ecosystem already um, that either had some sort of experience with ARCA um, that felt this was aligned and informed. What's the response been um, from the investor base uh, to the idea? We were supposed to do our first close on September 1st, and it was supposed to be about a third of the total fund. And it was already 75% of capacity on the first of the close. And that is just a testament to the work that we have all done as a firm to build that trust, because we've always prided ourselves on being transparent, on priding ourselves on educating our base. Things that we talked about years ago when we were in the formative stages of the firm, the things that were incredibly important to us that have resonated with our LP base. When there have been tough times in this market, we've always been honest, we've always been forthcoming, we've always been transparent. And these are things that build that trust layer. And so I'm very happy to say that probably as the time as this is announced, this this podcast goes live, the fund will already be fully uh, allocated uh, and we will already be at our our hard cap. And I think, again, that is just a testament to the entire team's work. 
not just from yourself, obviously, as you know, the, the, the founder and CEO, uh, with Jeff Dorman, with Phil Liu, with Katie Talati, with Hassan Baseri, with our entire team uh, and the portfolio team, our entire team around us, that as you as alluded to, pride ourselves on exceptionalism. We work hard. We, we love our jobs. We love this asset class. We love this revolution that is happening here. We wake up in the morning energized and we don't feel at a deficit even when things are tough. We know that when things are tough, that's when we have to roll up our sleeves and work hard again. This is These are all things that have created this opportunity. And I'm very proud of that. And I'm very proud of the fact that we were able to recognize this ability and be able to execute it. Yes, congratulations. And very kind words. And you hit it, though. We have an exceptional team here, like a really exceptional team of passionate professionals that have both an actual ownership and ownership mentality of this uh, that are very thoughtful and careful about this brand, um, fiduciary duty that we've been entrusted with that is often, you know, not um, the people's money who are entrusting it. They are fiduciary for other people's money who are taking a tremendous uh, both employment and reputation risk of being early pioneers. Um, and this, your, the offering and the response to it, I really think speaks to that. And uh, congratulations to everybody involved. And that's really everybody at ARCA. Um, an interesting thing you said um, as well on the portfolio side was a lot of people say what you're talking about. And it, and it really comes down to, it's very easy to say, we're going to be engaged. We're going to pick up the phone. We're going to do all this. Um, and then the doing of it is the difficult part and the actual having the ability to do it. How is that? How is this message in a very crowded um, space with actually founders and portfolio companies? Is this cutting through the noise with them or how is, how is it being received? And what's the view of ARCA there? 100% it's cutting through. And we have been the benefactor, again, of a lot of hard work. There have been public projects that we have taken on over the last two years. One of them was with Gnosis, where we helped the team and the token holders come to a realization where they were able to restructure and be able to show real value to the token holders. That became very public, and that was acknowledged by many founders around the world as a net positive. Recently. Uh, with the sushi swap project out there, where we really came to uh, their sidelines when there was a potentially negative, if you will, uh, proposal uh, that would have uh, effectively uh, created less value uh, in uh, the project in itself and for the value of the project, we came to their sidelines and we battled with them to actually say, no, the project is actually worth more money. It's actually at higher value. The work that they're doing here is generating this. That became very public as well, too. And so those two examples right there, plus what, as I said, again, speaking to the founders about some of the things that we offer them, founders acknowledge they know our work with Gnosis. They know our work with SushiSwap. They acknowledge that we are there to actually help build and grow these projects and these ecosystems. So as you say, and as I always tell my kids, words are easy, actions are not. And so our actions at our firm has proven that what I say to them every single day is actually valid. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, when you talk about your first three investments, um, I'm assuming that's a 
relatively small portion of the capital deployed. Um, how do you see, I know this isn't a liquid product. Um, how do you see portfolio construction and the overall allocation kind of forming up? Is it, do you have any ideas of wanting, you know, relatively equal exposure to different sectors or is it see what evolves or how do you think about that? Portfolio, portfolio construction, uh, from our perspective is that it'll be a little bit more top heavy in terms of our exposure to NFTs and gaming. Um, mm-hmm. There is just massive opportunity sets there, as I alluded to before, uh, especially from the infrastructure side, especially from the experience side, uh, whether they are single games. We actually, our third investment was in a gaming ecosystem that is being developed by teams that came from LucasArts, LucasFilm, the folks that worked on Avatar, um, a very established team. And again, as I alluded to, the growth of Axie and what's happened there has brought many people onto the radar from prominent studios around the world that are realizing that there is a very big trend happening here. And so that was our third investment. It was actually in a game uh, in the space right now. So NFT and gaming will be a, a significant portion of the exposure of the fund. Uh, after that, as I said, DeFi and what we call CFI, centralized finance, will be a secondary part of that. Lower extent, uh, because again, we've had a lot of exposure to that previously. And some of these newer sub-trends that I'm talking about in terms of structured products, credit, these are things that are starting to be built today. They're not necessarily there right now. Some of them are starting to come to the radar, but they're not necessarily there. Some founders are starting to tinker there. And then the third one is Web3. So mm. we're going to be looking across those different three tranches. And then in terms of you know furthering the kind of portfolio construction side of things, What we've modeled out is that we're typically going to be looking at about two-thirds of the portfolio being in what we define as pure equity, equity ownership, things that you would typically see in venture. However, digital assets is a new asset class, and so there are variables. Many of these projects have equity components to them, but they also have conversions, conversions to a live tradable asset when the platform goes live. There is a maturation process in a lot of the stages here in digital assets where we use terminologies like testnet to mainnet. Testnet mm-hmm. is when you're building the code, when you're building the application, the, the, process, the, the platform itself, and it goes to, a, uh, as I said, a mainnet. This is where it's actually more live to the world and people can use it. Uh, when that happens, there's usually a corresponding liquid asset that accompanies it. And so many of these uh, that we're looking at, as I said, again, two thirds of the portfolio is earmarked for equity. But some of those equity uh, deals will also have this retroactive token, as I said, uh, where they will accompany uh, the equity itself. About a third of the fund um, will be in what we define as more simple agreements or future tokens or pre-launch tokens, where the platforms are being built and they've determined that for different processes, whether that's for a DAO, uh, a decentralized autonomous organization, where in my opinion, it's very similar to what we would see in an LLC, but you don't have a central figurehead. It's run by all the participants in the network. That is something that we're going to be taking a lot of uh, focus on too, uh, in terms of the allocations. This is where we're seeing in our model that in terms of our, our investor base, they may see um, faster, more expedient types of returns because the maturation of a, a token in this early infancy stage typically is anywhere between six to 12 to 18 months versus equity investments, as we all know, could potentially exit vis-a-vis M&A or potentially go public. 
and so we think that, you know, again, the one third is probably going to generate faster returns for our investors, whereas that two thirds will have a mix of slower, more traditional venture investment returns, and uh, some of them will have that retroactive token. That's really helpful. And I, I am, I'm really glad you stressed that because I don't think uh, people understand, especially when they think venture and illiquid investments, the importance of the market dynamic um, and the token structure. And even if it's a small part of the initial contemplated part of the capital, capital structure, it might have a discoverable price way in front of the equity. It may end up ballooning or dwarfing um, the equity in, in very short order, or it may have a adverse effect um, that, that you don't generally have necessarily these, you know, this insight into the markets. And this is where uh, the work of the ARCA team, especially in the liquid markets and the three years of DAF really is incredibly synergistic uh, with those efforts that I think is very unique. And I'm glad you brought that up. Um, what do you think, where do you see the fund? I mean, I know it's hard to believe that we're having this conversation because like you said, far exceeded the, the, the closing speed. Um, where do you see uh, the cadence um, of capital deployment and where do you see the fund in six months, a year and you know, in the future? We've modeled it out where it would be a three-year investment pace. Now, to be completely honest with you, based off of the visibility into the opportunities that we're seeing right now that I alluded to before with the accelerators, with the hackathons that we're judging on, things of that nature, uh, we are seeing uh, a lot of deal flow as of right now before we even go public with uh, obviously announcing the fund uh, towards the end of September. And so... You know, it is our model that we would have a three-year investment pace, but it is apparent that I think that that's probably going to be shorter than that, whether that's two years, whether that's a year and a half, uh, that is to be determined. Uh, but we were typically looking at around 50 investments uh, by the end of the fund's life cycle. Um, and so, as I alluded to, it will be in that three different tranches of NFT gaming, DeFi, CFI, and Web3. Those are the three uh, tranches that we're going to be looking at. And it would be about 50 investments at that moment in time uh, by the end of that um, period, uh, which we think is probably going to be, as I said, probably about a year and a half, maybe two years at the max. Fantastic. Um, this is unbelievably exciting. Um, and really congratulations on bringing your years of passion um, to this space, uh, starting out on hearing about it, um, being infected by the digital assets bug, then <laughs> for a time screaming into the wilderness about institutional grade offerings to here, having a truly institutional grade offering that you're overseeing. Um, we've covered a lot. Is there anything that you'd like to leave, I guess, your audience uh, with uh, when they think about Endeavor? or just a, a, you know, a closing thought? I think it's really interesting. One of the things that I've been doing over the last few weeks as we've been talking to founders and we've been becoming more operational with the fund is when I talk to a founder, I at the end of the call, I always say congratulations. And it's really interesting that every time I say that, and I mean it honestly, because you and I have built this you know, with our colleagues have built this firm, we know that there are periods of time where, you know, it's very hard. Um, yes. Just the mere word of congratulations to them 
really resonates with them. They smile and many of them take a pause before they come back and say something to me. And so that's the way that we're doing things here. We're doing things here the right way. We are celebrating and we are working with the founders who are building a new future for us today. And that is why I named it Endeavor, because at the end of the day, this is a massive endeavor to change different paradigms in our society, in our economic systems. And it is the countless hours that founders spend doing that, that many of the times goes unnoticed. And so every time we finish a call, I say congratulations and thank you for what you've done. And this is a way that we're going to build the foundation of this fund. And this is the way that we're going to do it for the future as well. Uh, well, that's a fantastic uh, place, I think, to stop. And I'm going to say congratulations um, on Endeavor, on all your success at ARCA and our colleagues and everything that we've got to build together. I know it's just the beginning. Um, and I look forward to working together uh, for many years to come. David, uh, see you soon. Take care. Bye. Thanks for listening in to Baselayer. If you like the show and all the different guests that we've brought on, please give a like and subscribe on Apple or Spotify or wherever you do listen to the podcast. Also, if you want to have a conversation or reach out to me, you can reach me out on Twitter at David J. Nage. And let's talk there. Or also you can find me on LinkedIn. And I look forward to having great conversations with you all about digital assets.